0: It's exciting because I, um, got to kick off this series of messages on healing, um, the week before, uh, actually the last week in December, the week before I went into the hospital. And, and at that time I talked about the big picture of healing and the, the, the beauty of healing is that, uh, in, in this big, huge picture, um, in this world you will not be healed completely. In this world, you're going to die. In this world, um, bad things are going to happen. Happen. Je- Jesus promises us, I think one of the most beautiful promises that he offers us is the promise that he says, in this world, you will have trouble. I, I think that's a beautiful promise. If he had not promised me that, wow. <laughs> I-, I would think him mean. I would think him deluded. I would think him not in touch with who I am. But when he says, in this world, you will have trouble, I go, yes, we do. (laughs) Look around. And then I get to say the other half of what he says, which is, but fear not, I've overcome this world. Right? So, So while we suffer in this world, he overcomes the world. And in the end, he draws us inexorably to himself, he draws us to Himself, and and He makes us whole, finally, when we offer Him our lives. Tonight we're going to look at um, the the healing of Jairus's daughter, the raising of uh, from the dead of Jairus' daughter, and we're going to talk about that. and And it's really interesting because I missed quite a few sermons, um, and I tried to listen to them. Honest, I did, but I was a Kind of in a drug-induced fog, and I kept falling asleep. Not because Eric is boring, although he can be. Um, <laughs> and you can please tell him I said that. Um, um, no, I I I couldn't listen to them and and complete a thought half the time. And and so this week I I just listened to them all in sequence, and and then I listened to them again yesterday and today, um, one after another. And and there's this. Beautiful repeated themes and, and you're going to hear some of those themes again tonight because I, and I think that's gorgeous. So my challenge to you would be to go back, listen to all the sermons in a sequence. It'll take you like four hours. Um, so when you have four hours to spare or just make four hours to spare, um, sit down and do that. It's kind of a fascinating thing to hear. Tonight we're going to look at Mark 5. Um, verses 21 to 24, and then verses 35 to 43. Now, there's a story between the two parts of the story of Jairus. It's a really important story, and Eric's going to talk about it next week, but I want to, uh, I'm not going to read it tonight, but I'm just going to tell you now um, that that between the two parts of the story, um, Jesus gets sidetracked, by a woman who has uh, an issue with bleeding, menstrual or some sort of bleeding that causes her to be unclean, and she reaches out in the midst of a crowd and touches Jesus, and Jesus gets diverted from Jairus' um, issues and, and so forth. So, so know that there's a story in between, and that story really impacts this story, um, and so you'll kind of have to put this week's message and next week's message together and figure it out. So let me read Mark 5, 21 through 24. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he, meaning Jesus, went with him. Now, as they're going, there's this crowd pressing in, and this woman touches him, and he brings healing to this other woman, and that all happens. And then uh, Jesus is talking to the woman, and then we get to the rest of the story, which is this, um, starting in verse 35. why are you making <clears throat> why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping, and they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was, taking her by the hand, he said to her, "Kalifa Kumai," which means." Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. In the last message about the demoniac, the gathering demoniac that was um had the demons cast out that happened on one side of the lake and when it happened on that side of the lake um Jesus was asked to leave the region of the Decapolis the the 10 Greek cities so he's now gets back in the boat and he just heads back he doesn't stay there i, I love that Jesus just walks away like he he doesn't walk away without the impact of the good news of what he's done happening, right? He leaves behind the demon-possessed man who's had the demon cast out. And that demon-possessed man becomes like this whole missional agency for the, all the Greek cities on the other side of the lake. So it's not like Jesus has abandoned that part of the world. But now he comes back, and he comes out to the to back to the side of the lake where Capernaum is, where his people are, where people who like him are, and people, um, are flocking to him. I think that's a cool contrast. At, at one point, at one side of the lake, there is the resistance of power and resistance of Jesus' authority. And on the other side of the lake, they're gathering around the power and they're gathering, they're clamoring for the authority. And I, I always think that's fascinating. Because that's how we kind of respond to power, right? We either gravitate towards it or we resist it and push it away. That's kind of how we deal with power. Jesus has been showing his power, his mighty power. He has cured leprosy. Um, He has cast out demons. Now he's showing us he has power over life itself, over death. It's it's what the signs of the kingdom of God coming were, right? In the Old Testament, we read these, these accounts of, of this golden age that's to come. And the golden age that is to come is when Messiah comes, when, when God comes, when the kingdom of God comes. And there would be signs of who this Messiah was. The sign that the kingdom of God was at hand and that a person was the Messiah, the Christ was, be, w- was that they would have power to raise people from the dead. They would have power over leprosy, that they would have power over, over uh, uh, people who were sick, that they would be able to uh, cast out demons and make demons do their will. That was the sign of the Messiah. And so Jesus is exhibiting his power, his authority to speak into their lives and in our lives simply by by. Becoming, uh, helping us become aware of the fact that he is indeed the Christ, the King, the Messiah. And now, when he comes across, he's greeted by this huge crowd, and they're all pressing in, and they they all want a part of him. And and Eric's been talking about some of that 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 there's this reluctance to enter fully into. Uh, the the ministry of healing and raising of the dead and all those sorts of things because they just draw more and more attention to the healing, right? Because we're crowds, we're part of the crowd, and and if you hear somebody's giving away free food, you know, wow. Or if you hear, you know, like that that'll draw a crowd. If if we walk out there tonight and say, hey, everybody, we got you know free steaks, a whole bunch of steaks you know, we got a whole truck full here, come and get as many as you'd like. It won't take long for you to have a crowd, right? We like getting stuff from Jesus. We like getting stuff from God. We like getting stuff, period. And we like free stuff especially. So it's pretty exciting to us to get free stuff. We like getting free stuff. And that's kind of what healing has become for this crowd. That's kind of what this miraculous, this miracle working Messiah does. He's He's offering us some pretty cool things, and, and we get lost in the little story of healing, and we forget the big story of healing, which is Jesus' primal message, his primary message, his number one message is, I'm here to overcome sin. I'm here to destroy sin and death. I'm here to bring life, not life in this life, but life, life through eternity. That's what I'm here to bring. And if you miss that big picture, then the little picture, does it really matter? Does it matter if you hurt? Yeah, it does. But if you're just going to hurt and die and then there's nothing, wow. But if you hurt and you die and there's something, wow. And Jesus is offering wow. He's offering the big picture of who God is and what God's done. He's He exhibits his power over death, demons, over leprosy. There's a man who comes to him, a ruler of the synagogue. The ruler of the synagogue is a position of authority. This is a very respected man. This is like the, you know, it's like being a pastor. It's like being a, a, a respected uh, theologian or, or a respected, uh, somebody who has a lot of influence in the community. People love this man. He has some power in in the synagogue. He he can kind of declare who may be there and who who can't be, who's allowed in, who's 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 a, who's not. He he has power. He has influence. Uh, he's respected. Uh, ruler is not a badly chosen word here. He's 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 like a mini king. Like if he says you should do something, you should probably do it. And this man comes, and with all his positional authority, right, which is what we often look to for authority. We look at positional authority. We don't look at, at authority as vested in, what, in who people are or what they do, but we look at their status. He's wearing the status symbols of being the ruler of the synagogue. He has positional authority, and, he's, and because of that position, he's respected. And this man comes... And he bows before Jesus. That's a huge thing. (laughs) Jesus is a traveling rabbi. He may have taught in that synagogue. He may have, uh, on on Saturdays when he happened to be in the area, he may have gone in and worshipped with them. He may have gone in and been asked to speak and teach. This is a man that he's familiar with. This is a man to whom a traveling itinerant rabbi would bow respectfully, and instead, it's turned upside down. He comes and he bows himself. Folks, when we talk about healing, we're gonna—you're you're not going to recognize the beauty of healing and the realities of healing until such time as you are able to humble yourself. Humble yourself between be, before real power and real authority the power and authority that comes through jesus christ if you can't do that then it's really hard now it doesn't mean that jesus won't offer you healing it doesn't mean that in his grace he won't give you good things i'm not saying that i'm saying to be truly healed in this world and in this life we have got to humble ourselves we have to bow down we have to say we are less than and jesus is more Uh, we live in a culture folks and I'm as much a part of it as it, where we, we pride ourselves in being able to do things and be somebody. And, 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 and you know, we, it's, we're so individualized in, in how we think we're right. And, and submission to real power and submission to real authority is like the most difficult thing that we do. It flies in the face Of what we really would like to do, which is kind of be our own little mini god and kind of take our own little take charge of our world. And 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 the invitation from this passage is that we need to be like Jairus. Jairus is that is within. He says, My daughter is dying. He doesn't care anymore. He doesn't care about protocols. He doesn't care about positional authority. My daughter is dying, and I'll do anything. You ever get to that point in your request for healing? I, I'll just do anything. My dad suffered from emphysema. And, and, uh, and he, w- he would have such a hard time breathing, he, he couldn't get any air, well, actually he couldn't get the poisons out. You could get air in, you can't get the poisons out. And so you're slowly, over years and years, suffocating to death. For you guys who think that smoking is cool, please don't. Please don't. If you can get rid of it, get rid of it. If you can stop doing it, stop doing it. I watched my dad die for years. I would hate to ever see that again. Don't do it. Don't take the first one. Don't take the second one. Just don't do it. It's not worth it, trust me. My dad had emphysema, and he couldn't breathe. He couldn't get the, air, the poison out. He just couldn't do it. And he said, um, you know, I got to get help. And he heard about some doctor down in Mexico who was curing people of emphysema. And so he said, we're going to do that. And we got they, they had a little caravan with some friends. And they all went down. And it was way down south, deep into Mexico. And they went and they found this miracle-working doctor. And he gave them some miracle drug. and And he came back and and he started taking the drug, and man, he could breathe, and he was feeling great, and he thought he was healed, and his hair started growing, and he started getting a horrible temper, and he started all this horrible other stuff, because it was steroids, massive amounts of steroids, and all he was doing was treating some symptoms and wasn't healed at all, and then had the additional problem of having to come back off down off the steroids. Um, it was a horrible. You know, he was casting about for anything. When you get miserable enough, you cast about for anything. And that's where this man is. That's where this ruler is. I'll, I'll do anything, whatever it takes. Some of you spend way too much time on the internet finding magic cures. Sorry. Um, looking for the magic. There's going to be out there somewhere. Healing comes through Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. It doesn't come... You know, as much as I love Dr. Norton and I love what he did, he did not heal me. He doesn't have that power. Everything that he does is, is controlled by the King of Kings, the God of gods, the Lord of lords. He pleads with Jesus. He's casting about for anyone and he says, come lay your hands on my daughter so she can be healed and, and live. He's begging Jesus, just come. If you would put your hands, Eric's talked about how the importance of touch. Touch is a huge thing. Um, when when uh, Jesus comes, he he he, he says, if, if you would just lay your hands on him. Now, if he had a little more faith, he could say, Jesus, would you speak a word so my daughter could be healed? But he knows the power. He wants Jesus' presence there. He wants Jesus... There to touch his daughter, to heal his daughter, now this isn't just any daughter this is this is the favored daughter. This is the daughter of the ruler of the synagogue. This is a this is like this is like Ashton, okay I, I was going to ask Ashton if I could talk to her a little bit about you know what it would be like if she was sick, and then I was going to have Eric kind of think, yeah, to the father, go, yeah, this would be horrible. I was going to kind of use that as an illustration. So I asked, where's Ashton tonight? She's homesick, okay? <laughs> uh, so let's pray that she gets better quickly. But, but imagine that Ashton is suddenly deathly ill and dying, and, and Eric is crying out for his daughter. This whole community is touched, right? It's not just like, oh, that's some... Somebody died off in some other state. This is, this is an intimate gathering. A synagogue is an intimate gathering of families and, and people who love each other. And, and so it's a big deal. It says, come, lay your hands on my daughter so she can be healed and live. And it says, in the passage, Jesus says, it just says that, and he went with them. He, and he went with him that kind of loses the urgency in which Jesus says that. He's basically saying, okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. Urgency, we got to hustle over there. Let's, let's go, let's get going, let's move it. Time is of the essence. He understands this, this Jairus' pain, and he understands Jairus' concern and care, and, and Jesus says, okay, let's go, let's go. And, and and they start off at a good pace now the crowd is all arou- around them and and it's forced in on them and it makes moving hard it's like you know going to the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade or something and you're trying to trying to make your way through the crowd and 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 you're having this horrible time getting getting to where you need to go but but they're walking with a purpose they're walking with with this deep desire to get to this daughter and and heal and and then this woman touches jesus and takes jesus's time to distracts jesus from his mission to go be with Jairus's daughter at at the behest of Jairus and and jesus gets sidelined from that and deals with this woman who has an issue of blood. I read that and I wondered if, you know, it's kind of like Jesus' ADD moment, you know? Like, like really, Jesus? What, what are you doing? Time is of the essence. we got to get, we got to get there quick. We, we, we've got to get to this house right away. This daughter is dying. She, this woman with the issue of blood, please, you know, you can come back and deal with her later. I mean, she's had this problem for twelve years. It's not gonna, it's not like a big deal now. Like, what's the, what's, the, what's the rush, right? Jairus has got to be beyond fretting, right? I mean, he is, he is. Jesus is dawdling over something that, that can be dealt with at some later time, and and Jairus is going, uh, <coughs> hello, um, my daughter is dying. I, I, come on, move it. I want to talk about trusting God. Because part of healing is trusting God. And to trust God, you have to trust God's methods. And you have to trust how He works. Trusting God means that you have to allow Him to prioritize things. We are so sure we know what's best. We are so sure that we know how it has to unfold. We're so sure that we know what God has to do and when he has to do it. Do you do that? Several years ago, when I had the first surgery on my neck, I had gone to my family doctor and she had sent me on to the surgeon. And at the surgeon... He said, well, eventually we're going to do surgery on your neck, but I'd like to postpone it as long as possible. So when you can't stand the pain, come back to me. So I like to be the tough guy. So I thought, okay, I can handle pain. So I did. <laughs> and two years later, I went for a physical And my doctor, family doctor says, primary care doctor says, you're dying. This pain is killing you. You're walking around half dead. You need to have this surgery done. So I said, oh, okay, I'll call the surgeon. And she said, no. And she picked up the phone in the little examining room and said, get this man in now. He needs to have surgery immediately and it unfolded. It's kind of nice this time talking to Dr. Norton, he said, hey, if you say it's time, that means it's way past time. And so uh, he had the surgery. What happens is that we don't have priority. We don't have our priorities straight even when we're sure. I was sure my priorities were straight. Do this as long as you can handle it. That wasn't the priority. Jesus has different priorities. He does what he's going to do. He does it when he's going to do it. He does it in his time. God heals in his time. He does what he wants to do. God is in heaven, Psalms says. God is in heaven. He does what pleases him. But what pleases him is always to bring life. It is always to bring healing. It is always to bring light. It is always To bring you into the presence of God. That's what pleases him. As you walk around in your own ministry. Of offering healing to people. And praying over people. um, It's interesting to prioritize your ministry. Right? We all make our to-do lists. And then we do the, the number one thing. Right? Like. Somebody comes to me and says, you know, um, Rod, I'd really like to meet with you. I've been having some trouble with, with my marriage. And then somebody else comes to me and says, hey, uh, you know, my wife just got hit by a truck. Could you come and talk to me? I have a priority. You know, your marriage, eh, you know, you're not going to get divorced, divorced by Thursday, but this other person needs my undivided attention right now. And there's some reality to that, right? There's some some truism in that. But God most often invites us to do what's in front of us. He most often invites us to do the ministry that's right there in front of us. It's not some ministry out there. It's not some ministry that we have to think about or some that we have to go take care of somebody out there at some other point. No, it's the one that's right here in your presence, right here in your space, right here now in front of you. That's the person that God's calling you to deal with. Jesus has something that I think we often lack, which is he has complete trust in the goodness of his Father, He knows that irrespective of what happens to Jairus' daughter, whether she lives or dies, everything about her is in God's hands, the Father's hands. And he knows that he can deal with this issue and then go deal with this daughter, irrespective of where she's at. It doesn't require her, it doesn't require him to do things in a particular order. we don't understand that goodness a lot we get all worked up because our child doesn't know Jesus or because our friend doesn't come to Christ or and, and we think it's on us we got to fix the problem we got to solve it we we got to be the one who offers the healing we're, we're the one who's responsible we forget who's in charge we forget who the god of the universe is we forget who's the powerful one who has authority I don't have authority. (laughs) I don't have power. Anything that I have is because Christ's love, God's grace, God's goodness flows through me to his people. Trust God. Trust God with the people in your life. Trust God with the pain in your life, the suffering, the struggles. Trust God with it. He'll do what he's going to do when he's going to do it. It doesn't mean you shouldn't plead. It doesn't mean you shouldn't ask. Nowhere does Jesus rebuke Jairus for, for saying, you know, please come, please come, ask. Jairus' friends come and say, don't bother the rabbi anymore. Don't bother the teacher. She's dead. Can you imagine what that's like? For Jairus, too late. Your daughter's dead. He gets the horrific news that his daughter's died. They're too late. He's been messing with this unclean woman who can't even come to the synagogue. What in the world is Jesus thinking? So there's anger there, I'm sure. There's some rage. There's grief beyond imagination. There's pain. There's there's, poor Jairus. And his buddies are saying, eh, don't bother him, <laughs> too late. It's never too late. Jesus is never too late. Jesus is always on time, <laughs> even when you are absolutely, positively, 100% sure that he's way too late. Because Jesus holds all power, all power, and all authority is given to him. All of it, not some of it, not sort of some of it, not some of it in certain circumstances, in certain situations, all power and authority is given to Christ. So Jesus continues walking with Jairus. He walks into the wailing and the grief and the pain and the suffering and the struggle, the crowd around the house, all the people sitting in the house, Grieving, screaming, moaning, groaning, crying, we, hearts ripped out, their love for this little girl. He walks into it. Eric talked a while back about Jesus' compassion. Jesus is not, not compassionate. He has power and authority and he has compassion. And he walks into all this grief. And he says, she's not dead, she's asleep. What what are you insane, Jesus? She is dead. We know dead when we see it. This is this is not somebody who's dozed off. She's not just in a coma. This isn't just some circumstance. This little girl is dead. We know it. Jesus says she's asleep. Jesus does something that I hate to do. Jesus risks sounding stupid. How about you? You're afraid you're going to get mocked. You're afraid you're going to get made fun of if you stand up. If you say, be healed to someone, are you afraid that, that didn't work? People are going to laugh at me. People are going to make fun of me. Because they did. <laughs> they mocked Jesus. Are you kidding? Here's the thing about mockers. Mockers mock what they don't believe. They mock what they don't know. They mock out of fear. Don't be a mocker. Be a learner. Be a watcher. Be an observer. Listen. Jesus takes that risk. My invitation to you as you pray for people and as you ask God to heal people, is to take the risk, to take the risk of appearing stupid, to, to take the risk of, of it not working out like you imagined, to take the risk. Most of the beautiful things that have happened in my life are because I took a risk, because I dared to do something even when everybody told me it couldn't be done. (laughs) Everybody tells you it's stupid. If it's God's will, and if it's God's call, trust him. Jesus kicks all the mockers out. They don't deserve to be in the room. Takes all the doubters, all the unbelievers out. It's mom and dad. Jesus. A couple of his closest disciples. And he says to the little girl. And this is beautiful. These are beautiful words that we don't catch them so much. But it's, it's like it's his own little daughter. And he says, "Hey, sweetie, get up. Come on, sweetie, get up." not saying it like, get up. I say it in the name of God. He's like, sweetheart, get up. And she does. She's 12 years old and she's experienced healing. She's experienced the being raised from the dead. And then Jesus leaves two instructions. He says, don't talk about it. I don't know how you do not do that, right? And she was dead. Now she's not dead. I don't know how they avoided not talking about it, but they did get that instruction. Don't talk about it. And then he said, get her some food. She's hungry. She's been out for a long time. She needs food. It's two things, right? She needs sustenance. It's give, give her some food. Like She has to have it, right? you gotta, You got to eat. And then there's this other cool part of it, which is which is, the fact that you can eat means you're no longer sick, right? I mean, one of the things about laying around for a month, I I know it probably doesn't look like it, but I lost a lot of weight in those first few weeks. And, and it's because you're just laying there and you're not eating and you're not thinking about eating. and And one of the signs of health is that your appetite returns, right? And and so it's, it's a sign that you can take in sustenance, that, that she really is healed. It's not some imaginary thing. It's not some temporary thing. This is a real healing. And then finally, it's, a, it's an opportunity for her uh, to be served. Often when we do our ministry and often when we invite people into healing, and often no matter what area of healing in their life, when we do that, um, we forget that we have a continuing obligation. A continuing obligation of love. Not an obligation demanded. Not an obligation required. But an obligation of love. To have compassion. To walk with those people who have been healed. Those people who are now coming to grips with, Wow, I was laying down dead. I've been suffering for some period of time. I I died and now... I've got to get my brain around this, and I'm 12. I don't understand how all this works. Getting her some food is, is a sign to her parents and, to, and, and for them to pass on to the, to the help in the house that there's an opportunity now created to serve. Don't forget to do that as you boldly without fear of being mocked invite your friends your family those you love into being healed whatever that looks like let's pray thank you that you are the god who heals that raises from the dead that as power and authority, and that you speak into our lives. Thank you that ultimately healing is not about what happens here. True healing is when we are with you, because you've drawn us to yourself fully and completely. Thank you for the respite that you give us from pain and suffering. Thank you for the times when you bring us healing. Thank you for the times when you do what you just did for me, which was Um, Such a beautiful gift. Thank you for those moments. Father, help us to invite our friends, our family, ourselves, into humbling ourselves before Jesus. Letting him dictate to us. Letting him speak to us. Letting him take our lives. Give us the courage to do that. Father, bring healing to each and every person in this in this group tonight. Whatever their real issues are, Father, I pray that you would bring healing. I pray it because of what you've invited us to do, and because I know that you are the God who heals. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.